are listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. I hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families come together. Amen. <laughs> this week we're going to be really diving into the whole area of the orphan spirit and sonship. I, uh, as I was getting ready for this, this message, I found a testimony from a church in the U.S. somewhere, and I thought that it would really kick us off in the right place. So this is not a, a video, but it is an audio, and I just want you to take a, a moment and uh, listen to this amazing testimony. Um, my journey with adoption started 26 years ago when I found myself in a situation that I couldn't get myself out of. And um, I was pregnant at the age of 18, and I decided through much prayer that I was going to give a baby up for adoption. During the process, it was very hard. It was gut-wrenching, but I knew as I prayed that I was doing the best decision, that God had just instilled in my heart that what I was doing was gonna be right. I wrote a letter to the adoption agency of what I wanted for her. And when I told them what I wanted in an adoptive mother and father was I wanted a great Christian home that would raise her to be a great Christian. It was a very hard the day that I had to leave the hospital without her. I couldn't sign the adoption papers at the, at the hospital. I had them come to my home. I can remember sitting in my bedroom and them coming in and them handing me those papers and knowing that <laughs> once I signed them, she'd be gone. But I also knew that it was the right thing. During all those years, I continued to pray for her. After I got married, I had other children. She was never far from my mind. I always prayed that she was doing great, that she was having an incredible life, that God was blessing her immensely with, with her family, with brothers, sisters, cousins, but she was never far from my mind. On July 13th of this year, I received a phone call from a lady that I used to go to church with. And she asked me a question on the phone and said, Sandy, if you, I have to ask you a question, but it may offend you. And I said, okay. And she asked me, did you have a baby 26 years ago and give it up for adoption? And I said, yes. And she said, would you like to meet her? So on July 13th of this year, I met my daughter that I prayed for for 26 years. I, it was the most incredible meeting. I had no idea the day that I met her what I was walking into because I didn't know if she was going to hate me, if she resented me. I, I had no idea. I remember walking into that restaurant. My, I could feel my heart pounding out of my chest. And when I walked in, I saw the lady that had, phone, had, that had called me, and I walked up to her and she hugged me. And then I turned and I looked at my daughter, and she grabbed me and she hugged me and told me that she had loved me her whole life. 
she had made me a photo album of um, her life so I could see from the time she was a child till she grew up. And in that, she wrote to me that she never once had any bad feelings towards me, that she was always thankful and thought it was the most honorable thing I did giving her up for adoption, that she had an incredible life. I was so fortunate that the family that she was adopted into was a Christian home. Her parents were strong Christians and raised her to be such a godly woman. I can't even describe knowing how faithful God was to me in this whole process. Something that I thought would be so bad so many years ago turned out to be so beautiful. I love that line. Something that I thought would be so bad so many years ago turned out to be so beautiful. Father, I just pray for every person in this room, God, that, Lord, we would be able to embrace sonship. For, Father, you died on the cross for each one of us. Lord, you opened up that door for us to be able to walk in an intimate relationship with you as Father. And God, I just pray, Lord, that by the time this day is over, that there wouldn't be one person in here who wouldn't understand that, God, we are not orphans, but we are sons and we are daughters. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Today we're going to look at that whole area of sonship, for I I believe that principle can be foreign to even a mature believer. Have you ever felt in life, even in a church, like an outsider, like you just don't belong? Have you ever experienced a real deep sense of loneliness? I remember when I was pastoring in Edmonton, it was a, a different church, and, and I loved it so much, and there were so many young people that, that God touched supernaturally. And God was doing some amazing things. We were seeing signs, wonders, and miracles. And I would see these kids coming from the streets and just growing and and being mentored and discipled by the Holy Spirit. But we kept hitting this proverbial wall of sorts. See, we kept seeing these kids leave on on a Wednesday night and just set free and just um, just amazing things happen and then we'd have our youth service on Friday and they'd come back and they'd be all down and depressed and be like how how in only two days can you go from such a high to such a low and it wasn't just one kid it was just kid after kid after kid and the Holy Spirit had to to go on a bit of a journey with Cindy and I to teach us about being, being that spiritual father and understanding that whole understanding of, of an orphan spirit and how to break that spirit. See, each one of us in this room, we are born with an orphan heart, one that rejects parental authority and seeks independence, doing everything our own way. The only humans that were not born with orphan hearts were Adam and Eve. They had a spirit of sonship right in the beginning, but eventually they exchanged it for an orphan heart when they chose to go their own way apart from God. And as a result of their fall, their orphan heart was passed down to every succeeding generation. 
part of the study that I, that I was getting ready for this message was a book that I read called Sonship by an author named Jack Frost. And uh, as I read this, the, I believe it was right in chapter one there, it, he shares a story about how this journey started with him. And Holy Spirit really spoke to me and said, I want you to go home and have a family meeting. And I want you to sit your kids down and I want you to talk to them about this because they need to catch this at their age. So I did. I went home and I prepared my wife and I said, after supper, we're going to have a family meeting. I said, guys, I'm getting ready for Sunday and I was studying and I'm reading this book and I wanted to tell you guys a story about it. But first, I wanted to share a little bit about Romans and that whole thing about there's no guilt nor condemnation and that whole thing that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. And then I said, here's the story. Are you ready for the story? They're like, yeah, we're ready, Dad. And I said, okay. There was this girl, and it was the, the daughter of this author of this book. And when she was five years old, she remembers a, a something happening. But before I, before I go there, she, she and her dad were at odds. And her dad was just kind of trying to figure out how can I how can I break this? She's, she was 17, and it just felt like it, she was getting farther and farther apart. And the Holy Spirit said to, to Jack, she says, you know what? If you don't make this relationship right, she is going to find love in somebody else's arms. And I love her, and I don't want that to happen to her. So Jack sat down with her, and he says, honey, I, I want you to know that I love you. And I don't care what you've done in your life. I will never, ever be ashamed of you as your father. And I want you to know that I'm always here for you. And you know what her answer was? Whatever. And she went off to school. But that day, I believe at school, Holy Spirit started percolating in her heart. Started preparing her. She came home and she said, Dad, I got a story to tell you. She says, at five years old, I remember coming home. And you walked in the door and you sat down on the couch and I saw my dad. And I lit up with excitement. I ran to daddy and I jumped in daddy's arms. But what happened is when she ran and jumped in daddy's arms like that little kid, she accidentally canned him on the way down. And when that happened, he fell in immense pain and he grabbed her and threw her off of his lap onto a couch and he fell on the floor and riled in pain. Now, of course, that's a natural response. It was an accident that happened, but... The enemy used that and started whispering into that little girl's ear. Your dad doesn't love you. You jumped into his arms and he threw you away. And at age five to age 17, a wedge was dro dropped in there and dad had no idea what had happened. And see, I said to my kids, I said, guys... The Bible tells us that the enemy is the father of lies. And I said, I want you to know that this is going to happen with each one of you here. The enemy is going to use opportunities that perhaps are completely innocent and try to drive a wedge into our family. But I want you to know your mother and I, we love you. We will always love you. We are never going to be ashamed of you no matter what you do. We may be hurt. We may be disappointed. We may make mistakes as parents. 
but I want you to know the bottom line is we're crazy about you. And then Cindy said to me before this meeting happened, she says, you know, Lance, I just want you to know you, you better prepare yourself because when you do this, you're opening something up. And they could come to you and say, you know what, Dad, I was upset or I believe that you didn't love me when you did this. She says, and the worst thing to do is now get mad at them. So I said, okay, Lord, you got to help me with this. So I'm like, I'm opening up a can, and I, and I just need to get ready, Lord, because it could have repercussions. Help me just to walk in grace and help me just to say, you know what? Thank you for sharing that, and I love you. And I brought it to the close. I said, guys, I want you to know, I want you to know this is a safe place. And if there's anything that mom or dad have done, we want to repent before you guys because we want to make sure that our family is solid. And we look over at Mackenzie. said, well... She goes, no, I'm good. And we look at Liberty. Liberty? No, no, I'm good. All right? Look at Lucas. He goes, well, there's one thing. Mom? I'm like, yes! <laughs> and he brought up a story. He says, remember when you did this or said this? And she says, Lucas, will you forgive me? For my intention was never to hurt you but I want to love you as your mom. And they embraced, and I looked at Cindy, I'm like, it was you. <laughs> as believers, our quest is to enter the embrace, the unconditional love of the Father, receiving a heart of sonship that will displace the orphan heart. I'm going to be using the term sonship and I just want you to know that for the girls in this room who's kind of like, you know what? I'm not a son. I'm a daughter. The Bible talks about the whole sonship thing. It doesn't talk about daughterhood. But that's okay. Because for the, all of eternity, every one of us here, including males, are going to be the bride of Christ. So if we as men can be the bride, you can today be sons, okay? So, signs of an orphan heart... Are you truly never feel at home anywhere? You're afraid to trust. You're afraid of rejection and afraid to open up your heart to receive love. Yet unless we receive love, we cannot unconditionally express love, even to our own families. When we give our lives to Christ, that makes us sons of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, yet it doesn't mean that we automatically enter into the full personal experience of that loving relationship with him as Father. See, each one of us in this room, we have a different picture in our minds when I say the word Father. Some of us had great relationships with our dad, and that's the picture we had, and other people had estranged relationships, and some people even had poor relationships with their dad. But that is not who the Heavenly Father is. The Heavenly Father is a good Father. The Heavenly Father is a loving Father who is absolutely crazy about you, who paid the ultimate sacrifice by sending His Son to die for you to give us access to the very throne room of God. Last week we dived into Romans chapter 8, and today I want to jump back into that incredible book again. And if you have your Bibles, you can open up this morning to Romans 8, and we'll start in chapter 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. 
So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. I wonder, how many of us as believers have walked around in fear? Have you ever heard people say things like, oh man, I, I did something wrong this week. Or I did something really bad. And you're like, well, you know what? Have you talked to God about it? It's like, no, no, I can't do that. Well, why not? Because he's going to be mad at me. If I tell God what I did, he's going to be mad. Or you know what? I just, I just haven't read my Bible enough this week. And God's disappointed. I made a promise. I said, Lord, I'm going to read my Bible every day this week for one hour a day. And today I'm at zero hours. I haven't had a chance to open it up. And I can't tell God that because he's going to be disappointed in me. That is fear. And fear is not from the Lord. In fact, the Bible says, I haven't given you a spirit of fear, but that of love, of power, and a sound mind. When Jesus died on the cross, something happened inside of the temple. Do you remember what that was? Inside of the temple, there was this massive veil that was six inches thick material. And when Jesus Christ died, that veil was torn from top down. Through the sacrifice that Jesus made, it gives us sinful people access to the very throne room of God because before the cross, the, the, the saints of God didn't have the opportunity that we have. In fact, the Bible says that before the time, the high priest was the only person who could go into the Holy of Holies once a year, and there was no guarantee that he was coming back out. The Holy Holies was also called the Holy Place, and you can read about that in Exodus 28, verse 35. That was the most sacred room within the tabernacle or the temple, and the high priest was allowed to enter this room only once a year on the Day of Atonement when he entered. He had to wear clothing that God gave him specific instructions in Exodus 28, and if he did not, he would die. Now, some scholars say that the priest would have a rope tied around his ankle. And I've heard this in sermons before, but the Bible doesn't actually say that, but yet many Jewish rabbis talk about that and the validity behind that. So I can't say 100% true that this is truth, but yet there is that whole debate out there and discussion. That this rabbi, this, this high priest would go in to this holy of holies once a year, wearing little bells, having a rope tied around his neck, and all of a sudden something went wrong, and he didn't follow through with the way he would die. When they hear the bell stop ringing, they would pull him out because nobody else was allowed in there, only the, holy, uh, only the uh, high priest. Regardless, entering the holy of holies is a pretty intense thing. And it's coming before a God who is completely holy. But when Jesus died, that veil was torn. Brothers and sisters, are you guilty of trying to sew that veil back together? Yeah, I, I, know that, I know that Jesus died for me, but I had a really bad week, and I don't know how Jesus is feeling towards me. So, so. You know, I, I promised God that I would spend that time with him, and I fell short. So, so. And the Lord's like, no, the veil's torn. You're a son. Come to my presence. God is not mad at you. That is bondage. That is slavery to fear. And that's not the spirit that you've been given. The spirit that you've been given causes us to cry, Abba, Father. And even when we've had a bad week, I can come before him and say, Father, 
I've had a bad week, and Lord, I need to invite you into my mind. I need you to invite you into this situation. God, I need restoration in my life. Now is not the time to run away and sew the veil back up, but it's time to run into his presence. Lord, I need you today. I need you to walk with me, for we don't have a spirit of fear, but that of adoption, and we walk in sonship. Bob Davis tells a story of a little boy in Russia, and he was an orphan kid, and he was living on the streets of Russia from the time that he was just able to walk. I don't know if you've spent any time with street people, but in, when you spend some time with street people, you know what? They may even accept Christ as their personal Savior, but still there's that heart behind there of manipulation because they have a whole life of what they know and they're trying to, 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 to get and they're trying to hoard on to because they don't understand the blessings of God. And this little boy was that exact story that they adopted him, this family adopted him as son. And when they would go in and check on their son at night and they would tuck him in, they would find food stored up in the bed because this boy, that's all he knew. When they would go over to friends' places and spend time with friends, they had to frisk this kid afterwards because the kid would take toys and hide them and steal them. And the dad would sit down to the son and say, Son, you are no longer a street kid. You are adopted. You are in my family. That means you can have whatever you want. I promise you, you will never go hungry. I promise you that you are going to have toys to play with but it took a long period of time for him to be able to walk and get it. Now, friend, that is what God is saying to you. He's going to feed you, love you, give you good things. He's our Father who's crazy about you. Matthew 7, verse 11 says, So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? We can come before the throne of grace anytime, any place as a son. Now look at Romans 8.17. Now, if we are children, then we are also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ. So what's the difference between an heir and a co-heir? Let's look at it like this. A man owns 200-acre ranch, and in his will, he says, I want to divide up my property with my heirs. If there's four kids, they would get 50 acres apiece. But a joint heir is different. A joint heir is that same man made up his will as joint heirs. Each child would get 100% of the land. Now, that may be hard to split up, but in the kingdom of God, there's a never-ending supply. We are co-heirs with Christ. So that means that the promises that the Lord gave to Jesus Christ are ours. So what are some of the promises of God? The Lord promised Christ, which is now ours, that amazing gift of sonship. All power and authority has been given to me. I shall rule and reign forever and ever, and that is for us too. 1 Corinthians says, don't you realize that you will judge angels? Adoption means that we get all the rights, all the privileges of being within the family, and that is mind-blowing. 
So with that understanding, with that in the back of your mind, let's read Ephesians 1-3, understanding now that we get to share in what Christ has. Are you ready for this? Put your seatbelts on. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, 21 to 23 says, So don't boast about following a particular human leader, for everything belongs to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Peter or the world or life or death or the present and the future. Everything belongs to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. We are a blessed people. We don't need to steal from the refrigerator anymore for we've been adopted into the family of God. So what about the king side? Back to Romans 8, verse 17. It says, and since we are his children, we are heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Yes! But let's keep reading. But if we are to share in his glory, we also must share in his suffering. Oh, man, I knew you were going to say that. Uh, we don't want to talk about that. Let's just stay with the blessings. Hallelujah. Let's not talk about, Pastor, I, I, I got to go. I got a meeting to go to. If Jesus is in us, Jesus suffered unto death. John fifteen twenty says, do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than his master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to, they would listen to you. Did they persecute Christ? Yes. Then why are we so surprised when persecution comes to us? Have you ever had a conversation with someone and you tell them that you're a Christian, you get something like this? I hate Christians. The world is changing. Culture is changing. When we stand for the word of God, all of a sudden we are being deemed as hate mongers instead of people who are filled with love and compassion. Not because we aren't showing love, but because we decide to not agree with somebody on the, on the whole area of sin and what the Bible says. What do you mean that homosexuality is wrong? You're a narrow-minded bigot. It's like, whoa, I better not say that. I better not say that. I don't want to be called a narrow-minded bigot. What do you mean that sex before marriage is wrong? You're messed up. I don't want to rock the boat. And there's all these areas of sin where the world and culture says it's fine. And when we step up, it's like, if you disagree with somebody right now, you're narrow-minded and a bigot. That's not true. When in culture, when in history, when you had a difference of opinion with somebody else, not only are you wrong, but you're a hate monger. It's changing. And it's changing believers to cower in fear. Because it's like, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be deemed, I don't want to be labeled. Trouble happens when you're a child of God. The Bible says in John 16, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. That's a promise. But do we want to claim that promise knowing that we're going to have trouble? 2 Timothy 3, 12 says, 
Yes, and everyone who wanted to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So yes, there are blessings of being part of the family of God, but there's also persecution. When you step into the kingdom, there is an enemy who has, you, who has lost you, and he will not stop until you're dead. The NIV version says, now if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. We will have suffering, but we're also going to share in the glory of God. 2 Timothy 2.12 says, if we endure hardships, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he's going to deny us. 1 Peter 4.13 says, Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his sufferings, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to the world. Are you glad when sufferings comes your way? 1 Peter 5.10 says, In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Jesus Christ. So after you, have su- after you have suffered a little while, he will restore support and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. Take joy, brothers and sisters, knowing that it's part the learning of growing process. For if we cannot carefully, when it comes to, for, uh, for we, if we are not careful, when suffering comes, we're going to walk into trouble. Have you ever caught yourself saying things like, man, I don't want this. I don't like this suffering stuff. We can often walk around with a chip on our shoulder. I'm going to do things my way. I don't care. Have you heard people say things like, I used to serve God, then my mom died of cancer. What kind of a loving God gives my mom cancer? Who does he think he is? I've heard it. Have you? First of all, cancer is not from the Lord. It is a result of sin. It is God's plan that people don't sin, but they rebelled, and as a result, there's a pain and suffering in this world. Second of all, is there is suffering in your life. What fool would choose to spit in God's face, turn around, and run? Why not call out to him, Father, Father, I am going through such a difficult time right now. Lord, I need you. But yet the enemy starts to lie. And we start to listen. And we start to think about our rights. (laughs) If God says he is who he is, then why is this happening to me? Because the Bible talks about it. You are a co-heir with Christ. Suffering strengthens us. It prepares us for service throughout eternity. Romans 8, 18 says, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that we will receive later. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 says, For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things we cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Paul wrote some pretty amazing things. You know, maybe in your mind right now you're saying, Paul doesn't understand though what I'm going through right now. He was alive 2,000 years ago. He doesn't understand what the world is like today. Seriously? This guy was beaten many times throughout the years. 
In fact, he was beaten so bad that his skin was tore off. And some commentaries say that they was beaten so bad that organs would be shown and exposed. And much damage was endured. This guy was shipwrecked three times. He was bitten by snakes. He was stoned to death. He was locked in prison and shackled. You know what? I think he gets it. I think some of those things justifies kind of like, you know what, really, really, Lord, this hangnail that is really bothering me, maybe it's not all that bad. Lord, help me in the midst of suffering because you know what? Who wants to suffer? Who wants to go through pain? I don't. But yet, when I do, I have a loving Father who understands me. And I have a loving Father who I can come to and say, Dad, I'm having the worst day ever. And just pour out my heart. First Peter 5, 7, cast your cares, cast your anxieties upon him, for he cares for you. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that will be given to us later. We need to focus our eyes on Christ, knowing that he has us in the palm of his hand. The Bible says in James that our life is like a vapor. Next time that you're out early in the morning, just take a moment and just do this. Watch how fast that vapor just disappears. And that vapor is likened to our lives here on this earth compared to eternity. Yes, we're promised suffering life, but compared to the glory that is coming, it is going to be light affliction. We see it too often when a little bit of suffering comes and people rise up and say things, forget this, I don't want to suffer. I'm going to go against his will. I don't care anymore. I'm going to just do what makes me happy. But wisdom looks at the big picture. He's our father. We're part of the family preparing He's preparing us for the next billion years. Ernie, would you come? We cannot say that we are Christians and then run off and do whatever we want. For the Bible says, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. The priest says there's no guilt, there's no condemnation through Christ Jesus, but there is a king and God disciplines the, those that he loves. Saints, be cautious. For I've heard people say things like, I don't care what God says. I don't care what the word says. I'm going to do it anyways because I'm mad. I'm angry. God has let me down. So I'm just going to look after myself and I don't care. Lord, give me what I deserve. Whoa, 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 whoa. What we deserve we deserve to suffer and burn in a place called hell forever. So God, I thank you for grace. And please, Lord, please, God, don't give me what I deserve. I can't speak for you this morning, but for me, this morning I'm asking for grace. I'm asking for mercy the Bible says we all deserve, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid the sins of us all upon him. 
That is divine love. That is sonship. Where we can walk in that place and God pours out his mercy. He pours out on his grace, not because we deserve it, but because he made atonement, because he loves you that much. What an expensive price to pay for my sins. So let's not ever go to God shaking a fist and demanding we get what's coming to us. But we need to approach the Lord with a heart that says, Abba, Father, have mercy on me. God, I've messed up. Lord, I've done things that make me feel so ashamed. But Lord, help me to embrace. There's no guilt. There's no condemnation through Christ Jesus. For God, right at this very moment, you want to restore me and bring me into sonship. You know, that's the difference between God and the enemy. The enemy whispers to us and says, you know what? You're going to have to get yourself right. You're going to have to fix yourself. You're going to have to stop doing. You call yourself a Christian. How could you even call yourself a Christian? Look what you've done. And the Lord says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I'll give you rest. Come to me. I'm your dad. I will never be ashamed of you. I will never cast you aside. But I want to fill you. I want to give you hope back. I want to restore unto you the joy of your salvation. Because my friends, life happens. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And if it was good works, if it was good works that deem us okay with God, then guess who would never make it into heaven? Because I can't be that good. I can't. I can't do enough things to thank the Lord. I can't work enough volunteer hours in orphanages and stuff just to say, God, look, look, look at me, God. Look what I'm doing for you, Lord. That's just stuff. And God is just interested in you and the relationship that he has for you. And it comes by just saying, God, I've been walking around as an orphan in fear, not feeling like I belong, scared of punishment, scared of judgment, scared of what other people would think. But God, today, I embrace sonship. And Lord, let that whole area in my life click. Let me catch the importance of being a son, a co-heir through Christ for the price that Jesus Christ paid on the cross for every single one of us in this room. God, you are awesome. 
And Lord, I don't want another second to go by as an orphan. But right now, I need to accept sonship. And I lay all the hurt, all the cares upon you this morning, Lord. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching from Coley Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Coley Community Church, a place where families come together.